So just by way of introduction, obviously, Tom is the CEO of Monterosa. Um, a uh, fan engagement business, I suppose, is one easy way of describing you. Um, so you're headquartered in, in London, obviously, via the world, via Zoom, via everywhere. Um, so would it be quite <laughs> useful, I think, for us to perhaps um, get a little bit of a sense as to Monterosa as a business? What, how, how do you tend to describe it to people when you sort of first, uh, first come across them? Well, it, it changes. Um, as a lot of businesses do and, and um, it has evolved over the last few years from a business that was I, I guess it was it was a solutions orientated company originally we you know we would work with uh, media and sport businesses to create interactive solutions and we, we we invested very heavily in software in order to create a more scalable business out of out of you know what the kernel had emerged to become um, and so we, we we now go front and center with the platform so we we describe Monterosa as the interaction platform for fan engagement, uh, or if you're working in television, you'd say audience interaction. Yeah. Uh, but the bot the bottom line is that we we provide the the, the software platform that powers you know, massively scalable interactive experiences for, um, you know, for for big brand interactive events. What's been the kind of biggest brand you've, you've or biggest event you've been involved with? Um, well, our, our most recent um, new customer is uh, Liverpool Football Club, um, which is great, great for me as a fan, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, great for great for them because um, particularly now we're garnering such enormous numbers um, around everything to do with the club. Mm. Um, that's pretty high profile and pretty big. Um, but I guess, you know, the sort of some of the top customers that we work with, uh, ITV, uh, pretty much all of their sort of large scale reality, talent, lifestyle programming um, has, has some form of interaction that's powered by Monterosa from Love Island to This Morning to right. Britain's Got Talent, all that stuff. There's, a, there's yeah, we, we've got, there's around sort of 30 big name uh, brands in sport and entertainment that we work with. So to get to um, your career, as it were, I mean, you didn't you didn't start off in interactive, did you? Um, sort of, yeah. I mean, i i was a I was a keen um, programmer as a as a kid. I, I got into programming um, various computers. My coincidentally, my my auntie, my dad, my dad's sister was a maths teacher who just got into computers years ago. I mean, that must've been the seventies. So I'm, I was born in 78. So I, sometime in the eighties, she got into computers and gave me one um, for a present and I got into programming. So by the time I got to working age, um, I knew how to use computers. So I, my first job was in the sector. Um, and and in, in those days, I can't remember what year this would be now, but I, well, I got my first job at 17 and there was a, there was a, very exciting computer games industry in Merseyside at the time, um, across Merseyside, not just Liverpool, but um, I, I, got a, I got a job in that sector. So it was interactive. It was kind of computer games yeah. and post-production. That's kind of where, we, where I started. Yeah, interesting. So I did a little bit of research of you, obviously, in advance of this particular uh, interview, um, as you would expect. You stalked me. <laughs> I have stalked you in, in a very polite and, and obviously middle-class way. Um, but what I've uh, established is that you have a, a particular skill around mental ray rendering. <laughs> that was that job. 
that was what I was doing. It was it was that was that that first job of mine was yeah. Um, yeah I was the I was the techie that went and set all that stuff up for. Uh, it was great actually because it it was um, that was the era where CGI had really it really kicked off. The kind of price point had come down a bit. So you know, not anyone. It's still expensive, but but more companies could create amazing animated effects. Yeah. Um, and and the coolest rendering software was Mental Ray, um, which God, I've forgotten all about it really. But uh, I think it's still going now. It's it's re- it's really um, sort of advanced way of creating CGI environments and that kind of thing. So I got I got quite into that early doors. Yeah, yeah it was good fun. It's a nice skill to be able to fall back on in COVID-19 moments when you need to do a little bit of rendering. You're, you're the man to go to. I'm not sure I could, I'm not sure I could blag it now. I mean, I would try, but I think you'd see right. through me. Yeah. All right. Well, it's always uh, all down to the blow. Um, so out of interest in terms of obviously from those uh, beginnings, as it were, I and mean, when it comes to making your sort of career decisions in the early stages, and again, none of us are sort of uh, blessed with hindsight, as it were. But I mean, what, how have you kind of made your career decisions? Did you, have you always had a bit of a vision as to where you wanted to go or what's been your, um, your kind of uh, approach to career and, and making those kind of calls? Um, well, I suppose the answer is I've always had a vision of something at some time, but it has changed quite a lot. Ambition has changed quite a lot. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's quite hard to break these things down and to be accurate about it. Um, but I suppose, I suppose my, my take on it would be that I, I, I've, always been, I've always been incredibly interested in entertainment, music, um, I've got friends in, who've worked in the music business and I, I grew up in a very musical family. We, we, were, we were obsessed with performance um, forever, really. And I always wanted to work in that sector. It was never a sort of, it was never the sort of talent or anything like that, but I was always just really interested in the performing arts. Um, I did a bit of youth theatre as a kid. I really liked the whole performance stuff. But again, you know, wasn't particularly good at it um, personally, but that there was something in me that wanted to work heavily in, in performing arts. And actually, I was a I was a music manager for a while. I managed a folk artist um, on the side, and I thought I managed my brother's band as well. Um, we, you know, we thought we were going to be massive and globally famous, and <laughs> none of those things happened. <laughs> but, uh, but music business was good. I used to promote. I used to promote gigs. Um, I used, to, I used to put on shows uh, in West Africa and Ghana, where some of my family are from. Um, I, you know, I just did a lot of stuff in those days whilst being a techie. And, and you could make a bit of money being a techie as either a permanent job or a freelancer in those days in the dot-com boom. So, you know, it afforded me, I guess, an, an ability to make some money and then go, go and try things out. And I tried to start a lot of businesses in those, uh, that, that era. You know, we started the first ever uh, distribution platform for West African music, you know, wow. <laughs> in the early days of Afrobeats, we we were the first people putting that stuff on iTunes, and nobody was doing it. So, um, so we we you know we, we I did a lot of stuff, um, but ultimately ultimately the goal was to, was was always to work in something that combined my two passions really. As you know, one is the performing arts, and the other is technology. Um, as a, as a you know fully paid up geek. Mm. Um, that was just always what I wanted to do. And whether you plan things and execute them in, in a linear fashion, um, but that's not me, 
or whether you have a general set of intentions which more organically end up um, bearing fruit. Um, I'm not sure it matters terribly much. My, my approach is I've just been interested in those areas. And so I've ended up here working in a business which uh, is exactly that a combination of, you know, large scale, high profile, interactive, you know, technology driven experiences. That's, mm. what, that's what Monterey is all about. In terms of your, I mean, obviously being an entrepreneur, <coughs> it, it, you, you know, leadership and, and, and kind of, you know, that, that tends to come from within, doesn't it? You tend to have to sort of, you know, almost manage yourself. I mean, you know, I've run businesses, you've run businesses. It's, it's kind of, it's quite lonely occasionally at the top to sort of make all these decisions when you, you know, have to sort of, you know, carry the can as well as, uh, as the rest of it. Um, what's your sort of approach to leadership? How do you tend to, you know, what is, how would someone describe your leadership? Would you say? <laughs> um, as in my version of it is probably very different from anyone else's version of it. Um, I, it's a bit, it, it's a bit like a lot of things. It, it, it changes fairly significantly um, from year to year. And I, I think I've, I've had to make a concerted effort to address the changes that you need. A business that's got five people um, needs a very different type of leadership to a business. I mean, we're, we're still a small business, you know, there's about a hundred staff, um, but, but it's very different looking after a hundred uh, to looking after 20 or even 50. Mm. Um, and it's very different depending on what stage of business you're at. And staff numbers are not the only indicator. You know, it depends where you are in your scaling journey, where your funding's at, you know, who, who do you have to lead as well? Sometimes you're not, not just leading staff, you're leading your board. So you, 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 on an on a almost annual basis, I, I tend to reflect and go, okay, well, you know, what, what, what do I need to work on? And if I look back, I wish, I wish I'd have had a little bit more insight and maybe known a few more people who could support because of course I've, I've made many of the mistakes that um that could have been avoided um you know it maybe i started running this business about five years ago um and i wasn't the leader before that i was a doer i was a sales guy basically and i and i and i think i probably did quite a bad job for the first couple of years knew what i wanted to achieve mm. i didn't really know how to get what i saw it, it, it i I didn't know how to get the best out of people, you know, uh, because nobody teaches you that, or at least they can teach you it, but I hadn't been taught it. <clears throat> and, and I think that, I, I think the best, I, the, the best thing I've ever done in, in trying to work on myself as a leader is to find people to help. Like at that point, I realized I need, I needed more inputs from people who had done it. Um, and so I do make a concerted effort. To, to talk to people, to find people, whether you call it formal mentorship or not, it's not the point. Whether it's somebody that you meet in the pub every now and then have a chat or whatever, I, I, I do make it my business to try and get as many inputs as I can so that I can affect those changes progressively. Um, so I'm not sure if that really answers the question uh, about what sort of leader I am. I'm just, I'm one that just tries, tries to evolve quite frequently, I would say. Yeah. Well, no, I think it's, it, um, I think anyone will tell you that it is, it's a, you know, it's an evolution in terms of how you approach. And certainly when it comes to business, as you say, you go from a small, relatively small number to doubling and tripling. Um, yeah. The dynamics change. There's more people to be there and you, and you can't be all things to all men. I think this is the trap that a lot of people often fall into. Um, 
I guess, you know, um, from your own point of view, what, what would you say has been sort of the bigger management lessons that you've learned? I mean, you made, obviously we all make mistakes, I grasp that, but is there anything in particular that strikes you as something you particularly, you know, oh, I learned from that, that was, that was a, uh, an interesting one? Um, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's a bit like a jigsaw. Isn't it? There's lots of interrelated components to um, successful management, whether it's at the top end or the middle end, doesn't really matter. There's lots of things that go into it. And I, suppo I suppose one of, the, one of my most recent observations is that you're only as good a leader as the, the clarity of the picture that you've got in your mind. You know, what, if you don't know what you're leading towards, then you're going to be a certain type of leader that it, maybe there's, there's indecision and there's, there's a lack of clarity in that. The clearer that you can get in your own mind about what it is that you're trying to do, why on why you're trying to do it which is almost more important than what you're doing if if you have clarity with that that's the that's like the precursor to then being able to be a decent leader and i'm not i'm not even saying that i've got that right now you know it's something i work on daily but but i have seen the difference in myself between um what what i might be like before i formalized a new strategy and after mm. once it's clear in my mind, then I become a much more effective uh, leader for people because I can explain, I can re-explain, and if they're not sure, I can explain, 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 and and, and that that makes a difference. Um, once once that's the, once that's clear, then I think you unlock then the next stage. It's like a lab. It's like a computer game. All right, I'm on level two now. You know, <laughs> um, then 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 you you know you're you're in the you, you know you're in the, you're in the next level, and now it becomes about um, fairly consistent re-messaging. Re re uh, very, very, you have to be very supportive of people. Um, you know, by and large, people don't do what you want them to do by default. By and large, they almost, it would seem, deliberately misunderstand what you're trying to say. That's yeah. just across the board. But of course, it's, it's like getting on the same wavelength. So that, that's the level two is, right, let's get on the same wavelength. Let's make sure the details flash out. And then to be very supportive. And occasionally, a bit of tough love. Um, that's something I, I shied away from uh, almost entirely initially um, and that's probably one of the things that makes this job quite lonely is that there are, there are points in, in, the, in the year or, or in a month or in a day, even in a day when actually nobody is particularly happy with anything that you're saying um, and, and I think I've, I've come to terms with that now that that's actually a really important part of um, keeping the you know just, just keeping the car on the road going the right direction Sometimes you've got to, you've got to be pretty um, tough and direct with people. Um, so a combination of, combination of clarity, um, really descriptive, visual explanation, diagrams, you know, metaphors, parallels, adjacent businesses that do stuff the same uh, or, or that you could imitate. Um, that, that, that kind of thing, I think, really important. And then, um, as I say, being really clear with people and sometimes being more direct than you might want to be naturally. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think is um, if that makes sense, it does. I think that ultimately, you know, as you say, it's clarity and communication. If if you're if you're you know, knowing where you're going, then it's easier to communicate that. Um, as someone who's been trying to homeschool his two children, I can absolutely attest to any kind of management <laughs> skills are, uh, are absolutely born out of a classroom. Um, whether or not that's working or not, well, time will tell. Um, but um, in terms of your abilities then to, 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 I mean, you touched then on something which I think is quite important, clarity. In, in the last four or five months, 
I don't know about you, but you know, there's been no clarity. Um, how, how have you guys sort of survived and, 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 and got through or getting through the last few months? Um, we, this, is, this has not been a terrible thing for Montrose's business. I mean, it, that, that's, that's true. Um, wasn't great initially because we mm. do work a lot in the TV sector and a lot of TV shows were put on ice because of um, you know, production freezes and so on. So it wasn't, you know, there was some immediate and significant impact, but it's actually in its totality has been quite a good thing. But that's, that's partly because we responded really fast. Um, and not, I, I can't take the credit for, for this at all. It, it was clear to a few of us who, who run the business that this thing was going to happen. Like we knew, we knew that it was going to be serious early. Um, we, we knew, we knew that it was going to have a big impact. You know, we weren't, we weren't the people out buying toilet rolls the day before lockdown. You know, we'd bought a massive bag of rice about two months before. <laughs> it was like, it was inevitable, you know, and, and I, and I think, although it, it certainly happened very quickly, it's a bit like that quote, that Hemingway quote about how did you, uh, how did you go bankrupt? He said, he said very, very, very slowly and then very suddenly <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> but you know, it did happen quicker than we thought then. Um, but what we did was um, made financial adjustments, um, cut some costs out, didn't have to fire anyone or make anyone redundant. Um, but we did cut some costs. We got, we got cost under control. Um, we actually controversially uh, paused the fundraise because the diligence process was going to take our eye away from the um, from the core business. Mm. And we set about instead of well, what our strategy has been is in, instead of um, in effect waiting for we were about to do a capital raise and, and spend that money investing in, in products and, and marketing. We actually found that some of the slack that had been created by some uh, delays to projects, we put that into product development immediately in order to accelerate what we were already planning to do. So the the actually the value of somebody spending time on product versus project is many times higher. So we actually multiplied the value of that slack. Um, we hope. I mean, we haven't seen it back yet, but we put it into accelerating the, the platform development. So we've actually ended up, we've got a major release of our platform coming out in sometime late September. That wasn't due to be ready until 2021. So we've actually, we've actually made it work for us um, whilst actually making sure the business is profitable uh, during the time. Now that was our strategy was act quickly, uh, create and build faster than we would. And, and actually, you know, it look, look to scale the business quicker and in a more efficient way than we would have done without COVID. All, all COVID did for us was show us that, you know, the world's sport and entertainment industries need interactive solutions more than they've ever needed them before. Mm. Um, they need to replace revenues with better sponsors, experience, better experiences for sponsorship. They need to drive subscriptions. They need to do everything they possibly can to get off that dependency on traditional revenue because they're being, you know, shown it in their face that that dependency is risky. Um, and so demand has gone up and we've, we've responded by investing a little bit of slack that was created into product development. That's our strategy. I don't know if, you know, I, I don't know the future, so I can't tell quite what a return that's going to give us, but it's certainly, um, it's been quite satisfying actually. We've, we've got more done than we've ever done before. Yeah. I think it's interesting actually. And certainly um, as companies have you know, adjusted 
to to what we've been going through and obviously in sports and entertainment i mean you picked up on a really interesting point we were um on a webinar um about a fortnight back with regards to how to you know create more engagement with fans so suddenly you've got brands like coca-cola for example who in fairness have been doing this anyway uh this is nothing new to them but then in the panel were people from football clubs who were like oh my god this is like revolutionary and and you, and you can see very clearly the difference between sort of you know people yeah. who really understand it and 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 talk the talk really you know putting some investment behind it and and playing the long game versus and it was, mm. it was quite a stark contrast in this football club it was like well you know the main, the biggest worry i've got is is not having a full stadium on a saturday so there yeah. exposed in 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 very raw way was, was quite an interesting um I guess it's a lesson and if, if people hadn't been learning it, then they sure as shit are learning it now, you know, and it's, it's absolutely, exactly, yeah. um, you know, a, a key point. So I think that understanding how to build a relationship with a fan and it's quite complex uh, and sports has so many different touch points, but I think that, um, you know, technology is clearly playing a massive part in that and, you know, as, as software as a service mm. in that kind of environment, again, allows people the opportunity to get closer to stuff. And I think that's something, we were in Man City a few years back, and, and I remember even back then they were saying, let's, let's bring down the walls. Let's, let's make the fans closer to the, to the stars, not further away, you know, in opposite to other mm -hmm. clubs. So I think those kind of things are very, um, uh, very clear. And, and, and I guess now that's where the big point is for, for football clubs and for any other, other sports governing bodies, like, you know, how do we remain relevant? When we haven't got much live sport um an interactive gamification you know how do we in, how do we encourage people for that um these are all things which i know in some way shape or form are being discussed and are happening um but you know it's 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 a it's, a, it's still a an unsure pathway let's put it like that yeah that's i mean that, that's for sure i think everything that you've just described and that, that we're seeing is is um no, nothing's new new now you know, this is an area that's been well studied and, and well thought about and actually a lot of experimentation has already occurred. But what I think what it's done is it's like an accelerant. It's what it said is I'm a, I'm a, I own some sort of property, whether it's a football brand or whether it's a TV show, whether it's whatever it is, I, I own this thing. Um, but actually the amount of the, the, the proportion of the audience that I also own, as it were, i.e. people that I could pick the phone up to or email or whatever if, if I chose to, it's actually quite small, you know, of the billions of fans of a, a mm. football club um, pre or a top five Premier League club, of those billions of people that they might say are a fan, how many people may actually contact or communicate with without having Google or Facebook in the middle? You know, that's the thing is, mm. you know, how, many the, how many of them are your audience and how many of them are Facebook's audience through Instagram? This is, this is the, the hard reality that I have to face is, I'm the owner of the brand, but I don't really have that connection with the audience because you know what? They don't need to come to my website anymore because Google do fixtures and results. They don't need to come to my app because um, Instagram stories are giving them everything they need or do you know what? They get on the BBC or whatever. This, this is a problem for those organizations and it's not just in sport. It's, it, it's everywhere. It, it, you know, whatever it is that you do or that you sell, if you, cut, if you have intermediaries, then you have a dependency on those intermediaries. Mm. And whilst that's not going to go away, you know, it's not like football clubs. I don't think football clubs are going to, you know, make you subscribe to, to, to watch them in a um, direct form anytime soon. 
um maybe at the lower levels but but you know the 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 mix it's too dangerous it's a you know the revenue concentration mix has too much dependency on third parties broadcasting rights or in entertainment it might be just the tv channel itself and i think i think that's that's the change that is happening and it's now going to happen much quicker than it would have done before Mm. no that's that's very good point that's a very good point um i thinking about obviously how we arrive at these kind of um business junctures and, and the kind of situations that we're facing um it comes down to a lot of it down to advice and the quality of the advice that we that we often receive and often seek out. I mean, is there anything that that that's really sort of resonated with you in your uh, years of working in terms of people giving you advice? And if so, what what might that have been? Yeah, I've had a lot of really bad advice. Um... <laughs> let's start with the let's start with the crap stuff. What what investment does someone say? Yeah, back this, it. smash it. <laughs> Loads of it. Loads of bad advice. I, now I tell you, I tell you what, what I mean by that is that, um, very, I mean, nobody, nobody really gives you bad advice deliberately. Everyone's got good intentions, but, um, much of the, much of the received wisdom of management, leadership, building businesses, whatever, whatever the topic, much of that received wisdom has been extracted from a context that is different. And, and very rarely does the purveyor of that advice readjust the advice for the new context they're giving you know they might come out of a um, let's say somebody comes out of an agency group or something i'm just making this up but they come out of an agency group and have been working as some very senior level exec in a big successful corporation with twenty thousand employees you know fantastically successful profitable for the last 10 years they then think because there's a bit of ego in this as well they then think that everything that they have done and that they now believe is applicable outside in whatever context. Um, this is being unkind, but there are there are a lot of people like that who just fail to recognise that what works here simply isn't applicable here. Mm. In fact, it's detrimental, very detrimental. There are instances. There are instances of like management received wisdom in management around delegation, for example, where you know if you were to play it by the management rule book, you you would delegate everything. You delegate everything, right? And then you realize that the people that wrote that book have never run a business. They've never actually run a business. In fact, they've never run um, anything like a business. Mm. They've worked in a sector which has studied running businesses. But you know what? The people that they studied were turnover of 150 million. They've been around 30 years or whatever. You know, the, the, the context would have been different. And, and I think, I think that's, that's a danger at, you know, when you're at the sort of small, medium-sized level, it's, it's hugely dangerous to, to take advice verbatim and not to challenge it yourself and go, actually, is that right? Should I really delegate yeah. that? Or should, or should I just make sure that we do that one thing right this time because I know how to do it right? And then it's set in stone and I, don't, I can replicate that a thousand times. I never really have to go back to it again. Yeah. You know, there's instances of both. On, on the other hand, that advice does apply on the vast majority of occasions and you should take that advice because it is the right thing to do. So it's that nuance that I think many, um, many leaders, startup founders, that kind of thing, um, you can get lost if you read too many of those books. I mean, I read almost all of them, I have to say, but I'm very quick to reject some of the stuff. I mean, 
some of it's just you know I just, I, I've recognized you are a well-read individual and laughable that yeah well that's the thing is that in some ways you know you've almost got to read it because it is just so insane um, uh, and, and I you know I think the Daily Mail is a classic example you've got to read it because you've got to know that there's there's madness in the world um, so I think <laughs> that, that part of it is, is <laughs> I'm taking that far, Don. After <laughs> reading Daily Mail, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a shocking admission, um, and, and it's not something I want to talk about very often. Um, I if, that's what you, if that's what you have to tell yourself, then that's okay with me. It is. <laughs> it is. Yes, this is sharing. You see, this, this is how we do this. My advice is read the Daily Mail. There you go. It's the, the best piece of advice I've ever given anybody. Um, uh, so, in terms of your um, your approach, I think that's interesting. Obviously challenging advice challenging that part I, I totally recognize as a headhunter when we're actually out there identifying people for new roles it's it's you know, if someone comes from a very substantial um sports business into an early stage federation their their ability to to um to transition that is 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 crucial and we have to challenge it every single time just because you came from that company doesn't mean to say that you're going to make it in, in this company and um, as leaders, as, as people who ultimately will be accountable for those people and it's our decision to push the button on that hire or, or engaging them, um, you know, we have to be as sure as we're able to. Uh, and I think that that challenge has traditionally been quite one way. Um, I'm also encouraging people who are looking or, or potentially considering a new opportunity to also challenge their new employers. You know, can you handle my type of experience because it is different to what you're doing because you are looking to grow. Um, and I think that, you know, because, because we're having to be much more agile now as businesses, we have to be, mm. you know, um, capable of thinking differently and, and being brave, you know, pulling the trigger on, 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 you know, either making decisions, right. That is what we're going to be doing and, and it's, and, and backing yourself. Um, and I think that, if, if, if anything, if anyone's learned anything in the last few years or months, at least, that's something which is, is, is enormously um, uh, important to recognize, certainly from, for businesses as they start to grow. And, and from that point of view, you know, with your strategy for the, for the next sort of you know, um, six months to a year or so, what do you see as the Monterosa challenges? Um, that's a good question quite sure how to answer it um what are the challenges i mean i mean look the, the world and um everybody everybody's facing an economic dip of proportions that we haven't seen in our lifetimes or potentially for many centuries so i mean there's no getting away from the fact that that is that is the the macro problem and and the you know the social impact that that creates e even if a company like ours is lucky enough um, to, to be doing something that happens to be in demand during that time, um, as, I, as I think it is, um, you, you know, it's easy to forget that you've got staff whose whose partners have been laid off. You've got, you know, um, work at home problems with kids. You, you know, you've got the, the sort of life and social issues that everybody, you know, everybody's facing. We're all we're all facing some sort of impact, even if we're lucky enough not not to be economically hit directly. Um, so that's got that's got to be the biggest challenge overall is is people you know how are people going to feel um, it's 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 difficult um, and then you know getting back into our own business then the, the the challenge that we have is well 
on the one hand, the business of engaging with audiences and you know extracting value from that attention that's that's going to boom like it it was already doing so like it is it is going to grow rapidly uh, but it's going to grow across a lot of different expressions of that you know the, there's no one definition of what interaction or engagement is the, there's no one way of doing it there's lots of ways of doing it and I think the challenge for businesses like ours is, well, can you be all things to all people? Obviously not. That never works as a strategy. Um, so how do you get breadth? Um, and and the, you know, the, the answer to that, um, in our case, will will hopefully come to fruition later this year as we release new software. And, you know, we start to remodel part of our proposition in order to be broad, broader spectrum. Um, but without us taking our eye off the ball, it's, you know, there's, there's a challenge in, in doing that. Um, and then when you when you look at affecting a change like that, a, a step change in scalability, basically, then then your next challenge is, well, can I do it fast enough? And that is that is always the problem. You know, it's like I can't wait until December for that thing to be ready. You know, we've got to figure out how to do it quicker. And I'm sorry if that's going to feel a bit stressful for a couple of weeks, but the business does not. We can't wait until January. That's too late. You know. These are the challenges that we face is getting stuff done quick enough to, to, to feel as though we're catching the, the mood of the moment. You know, um, there's a there's a there's a balance in that because things always work a little slower than you think they do. It's a bit of a myth that business works as quick as some people would like to suggest. Like I've, I've, I've heard the term the window is going to close in the next 12 months uh, every year for the last four years. <laughs> and we seem to have managed quite rapid growth rate despite that you know yeah so I we're, we're yeah almost, I mean, there's, there's lots of, lots of challenges lots of challenges we're all experiencing our own fortnight storm closing in on us in uh, in two minutes um yeah no i think it's it's interesting i think that you know um certainly agility is is, is a phrase i'm hearing a lot um when it comes to businesses and and sort of planning um you know i don't think anyone's sort of following necessarily a sort of a hard and fast strategy to some some companies are, but I think from what I'm seeing, football clubs um, and sports brands, the so brands that are involved in sport are you know, demanding greater access to the fans through the intermediaries. In this case, rather than Google or Facebook, it's Liverpool or it's Arsenal or it's uh, uh, Milan. And what they're looking for is, is, is much greater value in terms of where they want to be perceived in terms of the fan experience, the experience you know, how do they engage with each other. Um, and, and then we'll come in at that point as well is, is a transaction. You know, it, it's, it's like building that funnel, building that, that trust uh, and making the, the, the fans or, or the people supporting that particular thing, be it music or, or film even. Um, so I think those are definitely, um, definitely quite interesting uh, times. Well, no, it's been a, it's been a, uh, an exciting period and a challenging one, but I think we'll see a bit more of it. Um, so now on to our very famous Quantral Partnership quickfire questions. Very important, these ones. Um, so you are now the mayor of Birkenhead for the day. Um, what would you do? The mayor of Birkenhead? Um, I, would, I would build a separate smaller cooler nicer area for retail i would demolish the current uh center of town in almost its entirety and turn it into the greenest um eco experience uh the uk has ever seen on the site of what was previously a rather ugly and horrible shopping center 
Fair enough. We like a bit of demolition. Um, I think you answered this question already, but reds or toffees, I'm assuming are red, given what you just said to me earlier. Of course. <laughs> um, Absolutely. If you had a superpower, Tom, um, what would it be and, and what would it uh, and why? Is this hypothetical or are you asking me if I have a superpower? Well, obviously I wouldn't ask you because then you'd tell me and it wouldn't be a secret, but hypothetically, what is your superpower? And obviously you're levitating as we're speaking. <laughs> yeah, I am actually. <laughs> uh, my superpower. Um, I uh, am disturbingly good at predicting the uh, outcome of uh, world events. God. <laughs> I won. I, I won. I won fifty quid on Paddy Power when Trump won. Not because I like Trump, but because I knew he was going to win. <laughs> I mean, you know, I wasn't the only one, but you know, if that helps, I'm still spending that money. By the way, that my average bet stake is fifty p uh, again. So. Fifty p again. Four years later, I'm still. I'm still in credit. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Netflix or Amazon? Netflix. Skiing or snowboarding? Uh, I'm terrible at both of them, but skiing. Um, who won Love Island in 2019? I uh, can't remember. Uh, Apple or Android? Apple. Elvis or Sinatra? Elvis. Because you've got a product called Elvis, and that's probably about a bit of a given, that one. Um, and we rebranded it. We rebranded it. We got a letter from the Elvis Presley Foundation, and we thought, well, what? Don't want to get into it. Really? True. Yes. Well, we, we settled in the end. We sat, we settled in the end that, that we were allowed to use it as long as we didn't use um, the term the the king or has left the building alongside. It's true. I've got it framed in the office. It's oh a, it's a my story. god! There you go. <laughs> See, that's that's the kind of stuff. You know, I've got a letter from the Elvis Presley State. I mean, you've got a bathroom yeah, shelf and all this stuff, but that's the letter I want to see. <laughs> Ah, fair enough. There you go. There you go. And, and last question. Um, I know you have a very strong connection to Ghana. So how do we say thank you very much in Twi? <laughs> uh, it's Twi, by the way. You say uh, Medasi or Medasi Wai. <laughs> okay. See, I've already, I'm, I'm learning. So that's the whole part of the Quantra Partnership as we learn as we go along. But um, Tom, it's <laughs> been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, I had no idea that you had a letter from the Elvis Presley Foundation. That That's just... You know, that and the combination of having a, a brand new clean green housing estate, uh, sort of shopping center in, in Birkenhead, I think is, is pretty much the, the, the pinnacle of my Thursday. Um, well, I believe it is Thursday today. Um, but listen, it's been a pleasure. Um, thank you very much. And we'll look forward to, yeah, I think what we're going to try and do as well is to regroup with people over the course of the next few months, have a, a catch ups as well. Um, but no, mate, it's been absolutely superb. Enjoy the, the weekend. Enjoy the rest of what's going on. And uh, yeah, we look Thanks, forward to Tom. it again. Nice one. All right, Thanks mate. a lot. Take care.